Welcome to Above the Noise, a podcast at the intersection of faith, race, and reconciliation. And I'm your host, Grant Lee Martelli. Welcome back to Above the Noise. We've taken a long summer break, and we're back with a new series of topics and guests that I am sure will be interesting and will inspire you. The title of this episode is Tie Your Camel, and it's an inspiring conversation with two young people, a Christian and a Muslim, who became friends and, in spite of their differences, found that they had many things in common and that they could build a strong friendship and encourage each other. We sat at the kitchen island in my home and turned on the mics. And what you will hear is the result of the conversation that took place for over an hour. You'll want to pass it on to others and listen because I am sure that their stories will inspire you. Our beginnings can be a stepping stone or a stumbling block, and Zetun and Gieslin has chosen to use them as a stepping stone. And with God's help, though young, are already accomplishing great things. Their faith is strong and their futures are bright. You first heard Zetun's entire story in episode number six. If you missed that, you may want to go back and listen to it. If you do not clearly hear in this episode that I love spending time with young people, come back and listen again after you're finished, because spending time with inspiring and energetic young people is a blessing and a hope for me. So let's join the conversation. Today, I have two very special guests with me, two people I love talking to. These are two young people who I think are going to change the world. So my first guest is Zetun. Zetun, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Zetun. I am just turned 22 years old and graduated from the University of Washington. Thank you. And my other guest is Gislin. Gislin, introduce yourself. Hi, uh, my name is Gislin Bugingo. Um, I just graduated from the University of Washington with a Bachelor in Science of uh, Informatics. And I also just turned 22 this summer. You both came to the U.S. as refugees. Tell us a little bit about that story, Geese, how your family came, how long you've been here, who's in your family. Um, I come from a family of uh, uh, five kids and one single mother. We came to the United States in 2013. Um, my, my mom, my parents are refugees of uh, the Rwandan genocide that happened in 1994. And we... Um, so from there, we lived in the Congo as uh, refugees, and, and we got a chance to come to the United States in 2013. And since then, we've been here. Um, the Rwandan genocide occurred in 1994. Some call it a 100-day killing spree. Hutu militants were targeting minority ethnic groups. The largest of these were the Tutsis, and it is estimated that between 500,000 and 662,000 Tutsis were killed during this period. Okay, Zetun, tell us about your journey, your family's journey. Yeah, my family roots are in East Africa. I was born in Kenya, but my mother is from Somalia and my dad is Oromo, which is a region in Ethiopia. Most of us were born in Kenya, in one of the largest refugee camps, which is Dadaab. In Dadaab, I was born in 
the camp specifically called IFO. I came to the United States in 2007 when I was seven years old. I still remember the date. September 6th is, I believe, our anniversary date. I've been here ever since. I've been living in America far longer than I had when I was growing up in Kenya. So I'm starting to think more and more about Americanness and the American identity and how all of that has kind of shaped who I am to be today. I come from a family of... I think there's about eight of us. There's six kids. So there's three boys and three girls. And then my mom and dad. I am towards the bottom. The refugee camp in Dadaab, Kenya is one of the largest in the world. At one point, there were 223,423 refugees registered in that camp. And some estimates are that it have gotten as high as 280,000 people at any one time. So Gisland, do you remember the name of your refugee camp or do you have any memories from there? Well, uh, so as for me, okay, um, so my, so it was my mom and my, my, um, my dad and my, um, my two brothers because I was, so my two brothers and well, me and Aimee and my, my brother Boris weren't born yet. So we were, so we were born in the Congo, but like, so our parents, are, so my family are the ones that were in the camps, right? And they got like uh, you know the move to the uh, Brazzaville, so they had left the refugee camp, right? So I, so, so my parents were the one of the victims. Okay, so your your mom and dad and your two older brothers were in the refugee camp right. from the Rwanda genocide, mm-hmm. and then they got to move to Congo, and that's where you and Emil were born. So you were born in a different country, but you weren't part of the you weren't part of the genocide no. part of it. No, okay, no. I actually. Um, wanted to kind of respond to that um, is that I feel the same way. I think it's so important, like from like my parents' perspective for us to grow up um, not feeling far away from the conflict because as a child, thankfully my parents like never made me feel like I had less than others. Even when I came to the United States and you, you know, you're in this little poor, like, um, apartments that you know you're resettled in and all that that kind of stuff but because I felt like so sheltered and I felt like I had such a great upbringing even whether it was in the refugee camp or it was here growing up um, I need my parents to tell me about like kind of the reality of what their living situation was before for me to feel um, totally connected to it because it can feel like a disconnect um, because your parents want better for you and they want to shelter you from so much. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, be, maintaining the connection, but also looking forward with hope and opportunity. Definitely. And yeah. that's that's why they went through what they mm-hmm. went through to, yeah. to bring you here. Yeah. yeah, let me just add on to that. So, um, you know, for like my, my parents, especially my mom that I you know, spent most of my life with, like she's like, they don't, see it, they, like they don't want to tell us those stories, right? So it's like, like I, it wasn't until I probably reached like, what, 10, 11. 11 years old, you know, 10 years old, like, you know, they started, you know, telling us the story because obviously there's a, there's like a school, a school assignment where they, they tell you like, draw like, a, you know, like draw a parent, uh, a family tree, you know, like, uh, who's your, like that's when you start having to question like, mama, you know, who, what's grandpa, what is this, what's this, right? So it was at that point where she couldn't hold it no more, right? So she started, you know, telling us the story and then we, you know, we asked the, you know, uncles or, or like, like people around the town, like, you know, like people that we know, like we're telling about the story, but. Back, I, I think I learned more about my story when I came to the U.S. than I was, you know, than I learned when I was back home because they don't talk much about things like that, you know, because people are still 
are not trusting each other. You don't want to, you know, tell the wrong narrative because you know everyone tell tell the story based on what they've seen, right? So, um, for me, for me, my mom, you know, like my mom and just my own research, you know, when I when I came to the US and started learning, and I really wanted to, you know, get connected to my roots because I think I I I don't know where I learned this from. It was probably in school or you know summer camp at church, like. It's very crucial to to learn, uh, like just define your own identity, right? Because that helps you, you know, set your values and everything. So you came to the United States, and were you, were you old enough for high school then, or did you start in junior high? I started in, in eighth grade, so that's junior high, right? Eighth grade, okay, yeah. And and you too, there too. Yeah, I was. I came when I was seven, and I think most seven-year-olds are probably in second grade. But I didn't know a lick of English. I didn't know hi, me, my, I, anything. So I started in first grade, and then later I like skipped a grade to be at the kind of the same place as my peers. Shout out to PBS. I feel like I learned everything mm-hmm. from PBS. Like I just like absorbed all of like the learning channels mm-hmm. <laughs> that were available to us at the time. Gislin, how did you learn English? Uh, for me. Uh Watching American movies, you know, <laughs> and listen to to uh, music on YouTube, you know, and trying to like read the lyrics. And I used, I remember when I would go to school because we used to walk to our, our middle school, like like I would read anything on the on the billboards. I would just try to pronounce it because I think the the, the thing with American English is that it's it's less about the word, it's more about the pronunciation. That's the biggest thing, you know. So because uh, we 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 used to take some English courses back home, but it wasn't. You know, it's all the British accent, like this is, you know, because we we speak, uh, we spoke French at home, right? French at Ingala. So it's um, like, like the biggest uh, focus was learning the pronunciation because the, the 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 words are, you know, you can you know you can catch it, but the things are, it was really hard trying to say something because they can't understand what you're saying because the way you're, you're saying it. Mm. So. so let's talk a little bit about your high school years. What what was high school like? Because I think we met both of you when you were either. In high school, right? Yes. So, what was what was high school like? Now, um, now that you learn English, and so um, I would like to like I, I'm happy that I went to a very diverse school, Cameroonian High School. I think uh, high school really made it com- like it made me comfortable, and also made me feel like I wasn't alone. You know, there's a lot of uh, you, you have a lot of uh, you know, immigrants, kids, you know, coming from different backgrounds, right? So we. It, it's like we're all there. We knew that, you know, like we can relate, even though we all have different stories, a different narrative. But I, I think it just it made it comfortable. And um, uh, for me and my brother Boris, we um, so we spent one year in eighth grade, right? So we we kind of a little, you know, a little culture of you know, uh, of, you know what it's like in school here and in a little bit English, right? And um, I think high school for me, I just I was hungry, you know, when I when I was going to high school, I would. It's like uh, like I said, like when I got to know my identity, defining and I. I, I knew what, what my values were and I knew what the goal was. So I set a goal and and I just knew that uh, I, I was just excited of what the future was, you know, you know, was going to offer. So I just really enjoyed the moment worked hard. And I've, it's, it's like everything that I prayed for and worked for. And it's, it's all like, you know, you know, it's all happening right now, you know, slowly. Right now. Zaytun, what about your experience? I know you told us some of it in our previous podcast and I'll reference that back, but. Uh, just a little summary of what your high school experience was. Yeah. Um, I spent two years of my high school experience in Arizona because that's where my family and I resettled and that's where I spent most of my childhood. So I moved from there in 2016 to Washington and I, th- I think I attended like Renton High School for a month and then I moved to um, Kent and I was in Kent Meridian High School, like Ghislaine. I think the biggest difference between my high school experience in Arizona versus Washington was kind of um, not only 
like how many cultures were represented and but also how I think I practiced my faith as well in um, Arizona even though there was not a lot of of like Muslim people or a lot of even Somali people there's a small Somali population but I remember our high school only had <laughs> our high school only had like one Indian guy named Fatel. I still mm -hmm. remember. So, and, and, and like the East Asians, there's only a couple, like it was like very small. It was predominantly, um, it was predominantly Latino and mostly Mexican based, mm -hmm. uh, because we lived like really close to the border as well. And that, that area has a lot of like Latino folks. Um, but less than the um, lack of cultural diversity. Um, what I really liked at that part was that, Like it made the group of Muslim friends that I had really close to each other. And I never felt comfortable like washing up for prayer and praying at school, but they made it comfortable for me. There was um, a librarian that supported us and she would give us like her space. And the teachers were actually really okay with us like, like stepping off for five minutes just to pray and come back. Whereas I feel like when I came to um, Kent Meridian, the positive thing was that there was so much cultural representation and my culture was celebrated everywhere I went. And the teachers were well aware of that, but I don't think I really prayed too much at Kent Meridian. I would just go home and <laughs> just do my, speed run of all the prayers I missed um, all together. So we just talked, touched on a different aspect of your life. Uh, Zaytun, you, you were a Muslim and Geese, you were a Christian. Correct. Catholic Christian, yeah. And you guys have been friends for a long time. So, well, long, relatively long. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you become friends and was the fact that you were of different faiths ever any problem or any concern for either of you? Well, the first time I met Zetun was, uh, you know, uh, history class. Um, uh, it was actually uh, IB history, jun junior year. Uh, in, um, so I remember, because Zetun moved in, like, I think a month after school started, right? So uh, in that class, I, w I was never really, uh, you know, involved in that because it was my last you know, class of the day. It was sixth period, right? So at the time, I think I was doing cross country. So I, I just, like, I used to be very sleepy in that class and I wasn't really interested in the conversation because I just kind of like, you know, went until the bell ring, right? And I remember one time, you know, this one girl shows up to class and then she decided like, you know, teaching everybody in the class. And I was like, who's that? Who's that? And I was like, oh, is it? I'm like, Yo, yeah, yeah, that's going to be my friend because she, just the way she will speak, the way she will eloquently, like just, you know, like the top, like the, you, you can just feel like, you know, it's a, there's a different energy in the room, right? And that's when I realized, like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go talk to this girl because she's, she's very interesting. Go ahead, say it to him. Tell us, has, has it been the fact that you're a Muslim? ever affected your relationship? Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, um, Ghislaine was actually one of the reasons why um, I even, as well as my internship with um, Mr. Martelli's wife is why I started going to um, the church that you guys attend as well. Um, and it really brought me into that circle of people um, that who were so warm and who were so inviting. I think one part that was not specifically faith-based, but I could tell it might have had um, like a faith background um, that I noticed in Ghislaine when I was attending is he had this tendency to really see a lot of potential in people and that meant that um that potential that he want that he saw in people he wanted it to come to fruit so he would push a lot of us and <laughs> and we were good friends and i think that's in the beginning what we butted heads about because i don't like being told what to do but i know he wants good for me you know i know he wants good for me and i know it's coming from a place of love i know it's um i for me in my head you could correct me i thought it was you know um a product of not only just 
um, being rooted in your faith and wanting that for others, and but also a product of um, an upbringing, a great upbringing that was a real um, great testament to his mother's doing. Um, but yeah, thank you to Gisling because I think he was one of the reasons why I even started having more like um, like interfaith discussions, and it really solidified my own faith in having those kinds of discussions because we're so similar. Mm-hmm. All of us, especially like people of the you know Abrahamic faith, mm-hmm. we have a lot of the same roots in what we believe in, a lot of the same core values. So for us to really be fighting like superficially and for there mm-hmm. to be like any kind of violence doesn't really like resonate with me or make sense in my head, considering mm-hmm. we have uh, so many things that make us um, who we are mm-hmm. that are really similar. I grew up in a Catholic church, right? Catholic, uh, uh, you know, religion. Like we just, it's very like, uh, you know, we have the best, uh, you know, best belief system. Others are just, you know, they don't know what they're talking about, right? Because we actually have history to prove it, right? So, um, and then when I came to the U.S. and you know, I, I, I started going to Ken Nazarene, but uh, it, it was really hard for me to do that because I remember growing up, uh, like they used to teach us like not to go to these, you know, these are uh, other, you know, uh, churches, uh, yeah, other churches because they always thought like it was, you know kind of sketchy they, they, they want to get your money things you know things like that right but uh when i came here uh, and i i saw what uh the youth group in the youth group at kenaz ring were doing so i, I joined kenaz and I loved it i felt really welcome and, and I, I just started realizing like it's, it's really not like why do we let this label divide us you know at the end of the day we're all we're all good people we're all like the you know human race we want to be able to have a good time right and then when i met people like they tune like, you know because uh so just imagine just being catholic or christian believer like just just to go to other other churches was a big thing now I got to interact with Muslims, you know, cause, because back home we, we all, we all stay in our own corners. Right. But when I came here, you know, having discussion with people like, you know, they two, my, my, my close friend, Zach Mohammed, like you just start to realize that at the end of the day, we, we, we all believe in the same thing. You know, if you think about it, we all just want to, you know, have a happy life, take care of a family and enjoy life. Right. And I just think these, you know, high level labels are just sometimes getting in the way and just dividing us, you know. And that's exactly why this podcast is called Above the Noise. Mm-hmm. Correct. That's why we are called above the noise. <laughs> Thank you for reminding us there, too. So let's talk about, uh, we're going to come back to the challenges of faith and race again, but let's transition to your university life. So you graduated from high school after being in the country for how many years? For me, it was... Uh Six, seven, seven, seven years. Seven. Same for you, Zaytun. I think it was a bit more for me because I came because really you early. came early, yeah. yeah. So you, but you went to you went to Camp Meridian High School and you graduated. And I remember the day you graduated because I have pictures of all of you graduating. <laughs> and uh, we, to me, that night would come to all the graduations every every summer. We would go to every all the graduations, and she would make those layers around your neck for every one, every one of you. And that was so special. But then you decide to go to university and you both attended the university of Washington, which is a pretty illustrious school and difficult to get in. But what was your experience there? Like, let's start with you. Um, Zitun. Yeah. Um, because I had only been in the state for two years at that point. Um, and it was actually one year because you were pro- you applied during your junior year, I believe. Right. Or you apply yes. your the beginning of your senior year, senior right? Year. Something like that. Um, so I think it was a year, a year and a half ish that I was in the state. So thank God that we came at that time because I was a resident. Um, so I didn't need to pay out of state tuition. Mm-hmm. So that was good. But then because I didn't grow up um, in Washington and I spent most of my time in Arizona, 
meant that like when kids are, you know, have like their like dream schools or whatever. I didn't really have a dream school, but I just envisioned myself going to the University of Arizona because I live so close to the campus. My sister went there. But now I came to Washington and I didn't know where to go. So I just looked up like the closest like state school and the school that everyone was like talking about. And it was the University of Washington. So I just applied to only one school. So if I didn't get in, I didn't have a backup plan. I don't even know. It was so silly thinking back now. I don't know why I thought I could get in because I, I guess I didn't realize if it was hard to get in or not. I just thought it was just the state school, you know? I was like, I did moderately well <laughs> in high school. Um, but I was really over high school. I feel like um, I wasn't, it's not the people that I was over. It's just, I feel like, um, I don't know. You were ready for a transition? I was really ready for a transition. I feel like there's not a lot of freedom. The curriculum is very, like, um, narrow. Um, and that's why I was so outspoken in our history classes because I wanted to push what we were learning about and I wanted to connect to our, the, our real world, our experiences and for it to have depth and meaning. So I thought that was going to be my opportunity in, uh, in university. And I was able to convince my parents and by convince, I mean that I wanted to, to stay at, um, a dorm. So I just applied for, it. I got accepted. And then I think there was like I don't know if it was a thousand dollars or something that you have, mm -hmm. you have to pay to back out. So after all of that, I was like, by the way, I'm going to be dorming. <laughs> it's a lot of money to get out. Yeah. So, um, let's think about this wisely. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I made that decision for myself, which wasn't that good, but, um, I really, I knew that I really wanted to do it. So I started talking like statistics, statistics to my parents about how like people who like live close to campus or dorm their first year are much more likely to graduate. I think I would have graduated either way, but I wanted to just have something to convince them. After that, I actually applied to the University of Washington. Um, I wanted to major in linguistics and anthropology because I knew I was interested in languages and I was interested in people. But I like looked at the anthropology classes and I was like, this is not interesting at all. I majored in international studies, um, specifically human uh, rights and international human rights law is what I was really interested in because of my specific unique background in um, refugeehood and growing up in that, as well as I also majored in Korean studies. And I kind of just stumbled into that because I saw a YouTube video that said, learn to read Korean in five minutes. And I was like, no way. So I, I looked at it. I watched the video and I could write my name and I could write a lot of stuff. So I just kind of stumbled into the Korean language. So those are my two majors. So at first I wanted to go to a small school. I wanted to go to a small Christian school, you know, and um, when I met Miss, uh, Miss Tamina, you know, we, you know, we, we were talking, you know, she's helped me. She helped a lot of us, you know, with our, you know, a personal statement to, you know, apply to college. And as we, you know, we we're talking about, you know, what schools one to 10 and I, that's why it's really good to have good people like Miss Tamina around you because they will remind you about the important things, right? She she was always about okay, how much are they giving you? How much are they paying you? Because like, you no, know, let's cut the crap. Like like you know, you're gonna say all this stuff, but like, are you actually gonna be able, be able to afford it, right? So you know, having conversations with Miss Tamina, uh, you know, it was straightforward that I had two options between the University University of Washington or Washington State University, right? So that's what my so my my older brother went to University of Washington, and my uh, second uh, older brother went to Washington State University. So. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a bad idea because I already knew both culture in a sense, right? So I, so prior to going to UW, I uh, interned at Microsoft my junior year, summertime of my junior year, and uh, first I wanted to be a doctor, right? Because I I want because my I've always wanted to do things that's gonna help me, like that's gonna allow me to help people, right? So when I went to Microsoft and uh, met this great, great mentor, talked to me about like you know how technology is you know is the future, right? Like it's it's about technology, it's about the tools, it's about information, right? It's about you know closing the gap of information, right? So when I went to uh, I, it was at that, at that time that I realized that, you know, I'm going to do something with, within tech, you know, within the tech field, right? 
So I wanted to major in computer science. And when I got to University of Washington and I found out about this major called informatics, right? So it's just, it's literally the, you know, information and people, right? We, we focus on like designing tools that actually impact the masses, right? It's, it's, it's less about the technical uh, focus of like, you know, how, you know, how, I, you know, like what, what can you build? Like, you know, how cool is it? It's, it's really, fo- it's really a user centric uh, program. You focus on people, you know, identify the problem and let's solve it to, to help, you know, someone do, you know, do the job and do something better. Yeah. So, but did you find any challenges when you were in a university campus between your faith and your race, having to deal with so many people? Um, you also were in school during the pandemic and during the whole um, civil rights, you know, resurrection of people, uh, police brutality and George Floyd. And so you were in school at that time as well. And you were in Seattle City where was the epicenter of many of these things, but you were you were from home. But did you find that your faith or issues pertaining to who you were were challenged during that time? In terms of faith, um, what I'm really, really grateful for, I quickly joined my local MSA, the Muslim Student Association. So I, because of that, and because I was able to dorm, I like even after classes, I didn't have to go home straight away. I was on campus. I could see everyone. I could meet them. I could go hang out with them and have great conversations and connect with them. So I had a really tight-knit group of Muslim people, and that's how I met a lot of Muslim people was um, through my university experience. Not only that, but right across from me was um, this like little mosque that is connected to the University of Washington that the MSA operates, as well as at the hub, the Husky Union building at the basement floor where all of the like student activities is. There's also a, a meditation room is what they call it, but really it's just has a yoga ball there just to say that it's a meditation, but it's for Muslim kids mm-hmm. that are praying between classes. Um, so a lot of the, having those resources was so vital for me and even there was a student before my time that um i don't know if he petitioned and i don't know how the process went but what the two of the bathrooms that are next to that prayer room have these special areas where there's a bench and some water for you to wash up for prayer so you don't have to use the sink that people are washing their hands in so i was really um grateful from the faith side that the university of washington was uh, like um like allowed those kinds of provisions at their school, like the water thing and the the meditation room and having a mosque that's connected to the the university. Um, In terms of fate, um, in terms of race, I feel like there's a lot of surface level stuff when you're applying to the University of Washington, when you're touring the campus, they tell you how much um, diversity there is. Even when you're applying, you you don't only put your, your, personal statement you have to put a diversity statement which I didn't know so I did it real last minute Um, but I feel like a lot of it is fluff there's only about less than like I think three percent of the the student population is black Um, and even in person it feels less than that Um, there's um, I think it's called the ECC the ethnic cultural center which is where a lot of the (laughs) black people and just um, just um, people of color hang out so it's a little bit off campus and at times it feels like you're kind of sequestered like other otherwise um, because it's not in a central location um, and a lot of people don't even know those kinds of resources exist. So when um, a lot of the civil unrest was happening, a lot of the like little microaggressions and the, the lack of representation. Can you believe that I came to the United States in 2007 and never in my life? So I've basically had my entire education here, right? since first grade and I've never had a black educator 
Not once have I ever had a black educator, and I don't think I've ever had a Muslim educator. I might have actually. I'm. I'm I don't want to assume that he was Muslim. There was a, a Middle Eastern guy that I had one time for one class over the summer, but um, yeah, I've never seen those two parts, which is like the biggest parts of my identity, really represented, especially at higher ed, which I was wishing that it was better represented. I think a lot of that, like, kind of culminated and accumulated. Um, during the civil unrest, and I feel like like I was so glad to not be on campus to kind of face things these things in person. Um, but it was a really hard time. Um, For me, in terms of faith, uh, faith hasn't really been a problem when I was at UW because um, you know I live pretty close to home. So I, I, you know, I could always come back on the weekends. You know, you know, for the youth group or uh, you know church service, right? So that to me wasn't really a problem. But I think the problem was more of like a, I felt like in class, like it's like it's as if like like you had to like not be proud to be a Christian, right? Because it, it wasn't really welcome. Like this idea of, I feel like religion was seen as as a as just a topic, you know? It wasn't something that people actually live every day. You know, sometimes in, in class, cause, because if you, me, when I talk, like when I, you know, everything I do, I always want to, you know, turn my faith in it because it's, it's who I am, right? So sometimes in, in class conversations or, you know, sometimes we have those uh, Socratic seminars. So I just felt like uh, when you when you say like, like when you back something up with the religion or you just put your faith in it, people just give you that look. Like, why are you speaking about this here? You know, this is not something we talk about here. Keep it academic, right? So I just don't like how we, like, it's easy for, for, for a kid or, you know, someone to go to college or university, to, you know, like to start seeing religion as just something instead of something that you actually live, right? So, yeah, that, there's that. Uh, in terms of race, um, I think I've kind of, it, it, it sounds sad, but I got used to this. I've got used to being the only, you know, black person in the class since I was in high school, you know, in my IB chemistry or IB physics class, right? It was just something that, you know, uh, you know, you, it's usually, you know, a bunch of Asian students and, you know, white kids, right? So I just, um, I've gotten used to this and it, it and when I went to UW in some of my courses, right, it, it's like, as I to say, it's really easy to feel lonely, you know, especially like at UW because everyone is competing, you know, competing, you know, especially like the first, you know, first two years, right? Everyone is competing to you know to get into the major, so like it's like people now working together. There's no sense of collaboration, right? So it really like builds an individualistic person, right? You become very um, which I think so. It, it's good. It's great for problem solving. You, be, you become a good problem solver, like you because you know like no one's gonna help you, so you might as well just, you know spend an extra four hours trying to solve a problem, right? So that is, I, I'm I'm happy I developed the ability to to solve problem, but I think it was a it was a very harsh experience just to to learn these skills. You know, I wish it was made it a little bit, you know, easier, you know, not, not easy, but more fun. Like not while we're torching ourselves, right? We're, because when I went there, I was very excited, you know, as a, I'm going to college, I'm going to explore all this, but then you get to it, well, it's a different story, you know? You got to pick a major, do this, you know, fight, you know, spend, t- you know, t- kind of some hours, right? Because I also feel like I was underprepared. My high school did not really, you know, I think there was some sort of soft races in my high school. Like they, they did not expect much from us, right? Because I, I came out of, I school feeling very comfortable. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm a straight-A student. And I'm going to, you know, I'll do just fine here. But when I got to Utah my, on my first exam, my sixth exam, I got a 60%. Man, that's, <laughs> this is the first time in my life I'm feeling the exam and that bad. It's like I, I felt like my, my word, I just, I just felt like everything was black, you know. It, just, it, it was dark. And I, I, I think if it wasn't for the full-ride scholarship, you know, full scholarship or, you know, financial aid, I, like the, the idea of dropping out was there in my mind. Because you are here thinking like these systems are not built for us, you know, because the, the, you can see many, many of the kids that many of my peers were doing great. I'm like, we, you went to, I went to high school too. You know, it's like, it's not like I just, you know, jumped and started coming here, right? But the things that they had a different training, they have a, like, they were 
they were taught differently, right? They, they have all the proper training. Like, so it's like, it was an easy transition, right? For someone like me coming from Cameroon in high school, you know, I had a diversion and everything, but I just feel like um, they were taking it easy on us. That, that's what I found out, the class that we take. In terms of academics. In terms of academic, in terms correct. Of academic. But I think, so that's why, I think if, if it wasn't for my faith, my value, right? you know, oh, yeah, like, you know, it just, I think that, that's always been like, what like, drives me, right? Because I, like, I know where I come from, you know? I know like the, the, the adversity that my family has overcome, you know, like, like that's why it's important to define identity, like know who you are because it, like, it will help you be able to stand, you know, 10 toes, you know, regardless of the, 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 the situation. So, yeah. And even some of um, like the academic advisors at the University of Washington, which is specifically at, it's called the OMAD, which, what does it stand for? The Office of Minority, Minority Affairs Affair, and yeah. Diversity. There are counselors or advisors there that specifically, if you like dream too big, will kind of want to give pull, you a reality check almost. I remember one of my friends who wanted to go into accounting and they asked her if she should just go into social work instead. And I just feel like that's so disrespectful. Like, who are you to tell me what I'm capable of? Do you have a similar experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that actually happened to me. Like my, my first day meeting my, my OMD advisor, Man, I was really excited, man. Like my first, if I, I was ready to go, you know. So the guy's like, um, you know, he checked my, he checked the school that I went to. He's like, um, oh, have you considered? I'm like, wait, what are we talking about? This, I, I I'm like, is my test score, you know, my grade not great, right? So he's already giving me options about all the majors. He's like, but you know, just in case you, in my head, I'm like, no, I came here for one thing only, right? So, and I, it was like, it, it really brings you down, you know, because first of all, you had this. One thing I want to mention, like, we live in Seattle, right? We know Seattle is diverse, but UW is not diverse. Like, University of Washington does not reflect Seattle or Washington State. Like, I, some, I used to tell my friend, but I feel like I'm, I'm going to a school that's out of Washington. I feel like I'm going to international school. Because, like, this school does not, it doesn't reflect, uh, you, know, you know, Seattle, uh, you know, how we talk about the, the diversity in Seattle. So, it, it can get very lonely, and then and it, just the way, uh, like, the atmosphere there, right? If, if you don't have the sense of, like, a... If, you know, if you're not like you don't feel comfortable in yourself, you're not like you don't have a strong mind. It's really easy for you to give up because I'm I'm really serious. Like even the, the peers, like the way people will look at you sometimes. Right? I'm not saying it was a bad experience, but I'm just saying like these things happen, right? But most people like me, uh, you know, like we we've gotten used to it. We, we just it's, it's not the fault. It's just they've never been exposed to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand so, what yeah. you're saying. I mean, it, it's amazing to me how much similar your stories are to mine. Right, coming mm-hmm. to the United States and going to a school and predominantly white school, experiencing those advisors and people who think that they're giving you good information. I remember my first year and I, I came on campus just like you and I was excited and ready to go. You know, and I was on a four-year plan, not a five-year or six-year plan. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm here. I'm getting this done in four years and I'm leaving. And I go and get in the line to register and everything and they send you to academic advising. And the guy looks at me and says, well, you know, I think you need to slow down. We need to get you in some remedial classes. And I said, Gosh. well, how do you know that? He says, well, you come from the Caribbean, and, and I'm not sure that you're ready to take this on. So uh, I was really annoyed. I was very annoyed. And uh, my sponsor was across the room because he was a professor, and he saw the look on my face when I left there, and he motioned to me. He just happened to be looking at He motioned to me, and he says, what happened? And I told him what happened. And he said, well, don't mind him. Go over here and talk to this person over here, the chemistry department where you want to be. 
tell him what you want to do and he'll help you. So I went over there to the chemistry head of the department, tell him who I was and what I wanted to do. He said, and I told him what happened. He said, I oh, don't listen to them. I'll help you. Mm-hmm. You know, so he sat down and he says, okay, you want to graduate in four years? I said, yeah. He said, so here's all the classes you have to do. Here's the order you have to do them in. And he wrote up my whole schedule and he said, take it over to the registrar. And he signed it. He gave him this piece of paper <laughs> and I went through. So the, the short of the story is the next year, the end of the year, I was on the dean's list. So I come back from my sophomore year and I'm walking across campus just before registration. And who walks out of the admin building? Same that same guy. Yeah. And he comes up to me and he says, well, you really showed it to me, huh? And I said, sure, you what? I'd already forget him, you know, like you said, <laughs> you know, we're accustomed to this. <laughs> and I'm going, he says, I told, I didn't think you could make it. And, and you're on the dean's list. And I just said, yeah, and I walked away. So why would I dignify him with a comment? You know, the results showed for themselves. Exactly. He assumed that because of where I came from, because of my color, that kind of stuff, that I couldn't compete with those white kids in that school. I not only competed with them, I whooped them. Okay? <laughs> exactly. When we graduated from, co- from chemistry class, there was about 16 people who, gra- who, who started chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Three of us graduated. And I was one of them. Three. (laughs) So, yeah, your faith, my faith carried me. There was time that I felt like quitting, that I felt like going home. I felt so lonely. There weren't that many black people, you know, but I knew that people were praying for me and and your faith carries you. And you learn, like you said, you know, you learn to carry on. Mm -hmm. We'll break here for part one of this conversation and be back in a week with part two. I'm sure many of you who are immigrants or people of color have ran into people like those that we just spoke about at the end of that conversation, who well-meaning simply don't understand that their advice was considered demeaning or condescending, and they just didn't understand the zeal and the determination that many immigrants and people of color come to the United States with. And when they get the opportunity to go to university or to get training, are excited and they want to get it done, and they can get it done. We don't need special accommodations. If you happen to know someone who you believe would be an interesting guest on Above the Noise, please send me your suggestions and a short note about the person and how to reach them at abovethenoise24 at gmail.com. Email us your comments and suggestions at AboveTheNoise24 at gmail.com. AboveTheNoise24 at gmail.com. Like us and leave a review on the site where you're listening right now. Just take a minute and leave a review because reviews help our podcast to receive more visibility, especially to people who are interested in these topics. Also share with a friend so that they can join the conversation. Follow us on Facebook at Above the Noise 24, at Above the Noise 24, and also follow us on Instagram.